Hello, and welcome to a new episode and a new year, Americana podcast listeners. We're so happy to be back, and we have a very exciting episode for you today to celebrate the new year. I'm particularly excited for this show because it really brings us to a full circle moment in the history of this podcast. From longtime audience members to latest episode listeners, you know that every episode features a break in programming to feature a wonderfully written recommendation from our friend and contributor, Will Vote. Will has been with us since the very first episode of the show and has been on the ground floor for many artists, kindly sharing with our audience who he's been listening to during his segment. Which brings us to this episode's guest, His Golden Messenger. One of the first picks Will ever submitted was one detailing the works of M.C. Taylor, aka His Golden Messenger. A native of California but longtime North Carolina resident, His Golden Messenger brings together the elements of soul, rhythm rock, blues, and experiential lyricism. His punk rock DIY acumen combined with the elevated style of songwriting has garnered praise from both fans and critics alike, as well as Grammy nominations. And since his first ever feature as Will's pick, I can biasedly say he's one of my all-time favorite artists working today in the Americana scene. Our regular host Robert Earl Keen is still out, which means I am still acting as host for the time being. I promise Robert is coming back in future episodes. At this time, though, I want to thank this episode's sponsors Jeff Contreras and Tipper for contributing to this show. Americana Podcast is an educational platform with no corporate sponsors, so it means so much to us when you donate. It's a labor of love, but we are so happy that you love it too. If anyone else wants to be listed as a sponsor on the next episode, please feel free to donate at tiptopjar.com slash Americana podcast, or just check the link in the description. And Tipper, I will see what I can do about getting either Trampled by Turtles or Dead Man Winter on. For now, please join us as we talk with His Golden Messenger about the punk and Americana continuum, being your own producer, and how to talk about music without giving too much away. I'm your producer and host, Clara Rose, and this is Americana Podcast. The 51st state. If anything, I'd like to maybe just get kind of started is you were born and raised in Southern California. Yeah. Right. And yeah. your father was a musician as well. I mean, so he plays music. He didn't mm-hmm. do it professionally, but he um, he played a lot of guitar around the house and he sang a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I um, I just I guess I had I got a glimpse of what a person's personal relationship to music could be mm-hmm. at, at like at, at a very simple level because it really was just guitar and voice there was no technology involved um but he he's a great singer and a great guitar player like he he was a public school teacher for his whole career but he often was hired to like sing at weddings and stuff he had like mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of voice very different from my voice um like very golden golden pipes oh, he cool. like he he his guy was like james taylor and um you know just like those kind of like silky silky voices mm-hmm. and i read that he was in a band that opened for john denver oh yeah. yeah yes he he was um in the so he 
he didn't he wasn't born in in Southern California, but his family was definitely a part of like a big Western migration. Um, so he ended up in a place called Garden Grove, which is uh, near Anaheim. It's like it's right near like Disneyland, which mm-hmm. was new at the time when he was growing up. Um, so in high school, he had a band called The Settlers. Mm-hmm. Was his first band? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. The band, his first band was called the Edgewood Singers. And then after that band, he made a band called the Settlers. I think it was the Settlers that, uh, that opened for John Denver. Um, still a great band name, the Settlers. Yeah, that's a great, that's a really great <laughs> band name. Um, yeah, but I think by the time he was out of high school, you know, he wasn't, I don't know how much he entertained the idea of playing music professionally i don't i don't know that he did actually yeah um so yeah yeah but he was an inspiration for you learning how to play i mean sort of he didn't like really he never showed me mm-hmm. right <laughs> he was not like not a great guitar teacher mm-hmm. i mean certainly no knock on him i was i was not a great guitar student um i was interested in other stuff but just seeing him yeah, just seeing him with a guitar around the house was enough, I think, to mm-hmm. spark this idea in me that like you could develop this personal relationship to music that that was different than whatever I was hearing on records and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty incredible. And uh, I also have here that you kind of started a punk band, X. Uh, Ignota. Ex Ignota, yeah. Yeah, Ex Ignota. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a couple of guests um, who went from the kind of the punk scene to the more country or alt country Americana, and it's <coughs> a really interesting relationship that kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely like some type of pipeline that um, that exists between like whatever variety of punk rock um, or hardcore music into whatever variety of Americana music. Um, I think there's for sure a, a, like a pipeline that runs between punk rock and, 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 you know, Americana. Like I, I feel like the most, um, the most common one to like make lots of generalizations Mm -hmm. is this sort of like, this sort of like, tattooed slick back hair punk rocker that moves into the kind of like swaggering americana johnny cash like middle finger uh, photograph you know that Mm -hmm. that picture of johnny cash um yeah that that seems very common to me that's not exactly my vibe at all Mm -hmm. um but i understand the ways that like if you get involved in in music like punk rock that sort of exists on the fringes i guess Mm -hmm. in this alternative space yeah in this alternative space like kind of on the margins although i i wonder about punk rock now because it seems so it's so commodified now. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a costume that you can kind of put on. Um, just speaking personally, I guess, like, I, I, like, feel like I was involved in this sort of, like, DIY community 
that was very politically oriented, politically motivated. Mm -hmm. There was always, you know, the shows that we were putting on and playing, there was always some kind of extracurricular component, like Food Not Bombs would be there. or mm -hmm. uh, And I feel like I... Um, you know, just like as an aside, mm -hmm. I took a lot of lessons away from from that era of my life that still serve me, you know, in a pretty profound way. It's like I, I still, um, I, I, I suspect it's the reason that I'm here making music still mm -hmm. is because when I started His Gold Messenger many years later, um, I was still using the like do-it-yourself um aesthetic mm -hmm. and so it it made sense to me i i've never i i never had a moment where i was like sitting around hoping that a record label would come knocking or something like that because mm -hmm. that's just not how i came up in music if i wanted to do something i just did it so um you know i very early with his golden messenger i like pressed my own records here in nashville and but yeah, so so just to go back to mm -hmm. how I got to Americana, like yeah. I think I just um, I reached a, a moment in my relationship to that music, not the not the not the like community building vibes that surrounded that music, but just the music itself, where I I felt like I had personally reached the end of what I could accomplish musically in mm -hmm. that space. Um, and I just was in search of something else and, and, or something, something more, something in addition to, to that. And I was discovering all kinds of music at that time. I mean, this is like age 18, 19, mm -hmm. like, uh, all kinds of jazz and just, you know what I mean? Just yeah. gospel music and realizing how limitless the, the musical world was like, you know, um, and I don't know, I found myself in being really interested in, in like country music, bluegrass music, old time string band music. And it felt like that felt like a space that I um, to be interested in that music, to be interested in learning how to play it was was very uh, what's the, I mean, it felt like as punk rock as mm -hmm. I could be to be in that space as someone in Southern California, yeah. it's not Nashville. Right? <laughs> right. So it's, it wasn't in the fabric. It wasn't in the, it wasn't in the, in the air in mm -hmm. Southern California. So, um, like I remember when I was starting to like show, uh, people that I made music with back then that, that I still work with, um, or early on, like I had an acoustic guitar and I got a banjo and they were just like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you were in Southern California for a long time, but you relocated to North Carolina for your master's degree. Right. Right. 
and yeah. this is also where his really takes off yeah yeah, yeah pretty much i mean mm-hmm. i started his the last about the last year that i was living in california mm-hmm. um but then i moved to north carolina in 2007 so you know i've been there for 16 going on 17 years that's beautiful and uh-huh. it has such a rich musical history as well north carolina pull, does yeah, yep to pull from yeah, it does. Um, and I, and you know, I, I, I moved to North Carolina with the intention of hoping to understand Southern cultures more, which thinking about it now sounds like such a simple, <laughs> not in a good way, but yeah. just like such a simple mission. Um, but as it turns out, like I, I did, I, I, I did gain all kinds of new understandings. Not what I was expecting. Not what mm-hmm. I, any, anything that I would have understood then at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, again, I don't think I would be making music. Certainly not the way that I do, or at the level that I do, had I not moved to, to the south, mm-hmm. because I feel like so much of this material that informs my music has roots in the south and there's just no denying it <laughs> oh yeah i think it's very palpable in like your lyrics in particular you right. just seem to talk about a lot of things that you know you experience or that can kind of plague the area yeah in its own way yeah mm-hmm. so i don't I've, i would never call myself a southerner mm-hmm. um but I've been here for a long time i my kids were born and raised here i um I have a real affinity for the place mm-hmm. and um so you know and I feel connected to to all kinds of yeah all kinds of tradition that has roots in the south and I'm also really interested in like kind of breaking breaking certain traditions because I think it's fun not of mm-hmm. not out of disrespect there's always going to be people that like sort of fly the flag of tradition and stick to the rules and mm-hmm. like we I, I like that too yeah I like that too but at this moment in my musical life like I find myself more and more interested in like taking the rules and tweaking them in a way that makes it yeah it makes you go like what why did he do that <laughs> And well, you know, and you make music at a breakneck pace, it seems like. Uh, you've been incredibly active. I don't ever think of myself as prolific like that. Mm-hmm. I, I like, <clears throat> that's certainly not part of, I don't think about, about how many records I put out with mm-hmm. uh, His Golden Messenger. There are a lot of records, though, but it's never felt like I was, like, yeah. dripping sweat to no. make them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, of course not. Um, they just happen, I guess. Well, and it, I really, what I like about your music style a lot is that you, I like that you draw so much personally, but there's still a mystery about mm. the biographical nature of lyrics there's still this like wonderful connection that you can put out there and it's like it's clearly you but it's Mm. also this moment that allows your audience to it resonates and it's easy to connect with yeah um i think that's the type of writing that i'm drawn to Mm -hmm. writing that feels specific but 
enigmatic, uh, like writing that maybe poses a sort of like offers up a scene that as a listener, you, you can inhabit too mm-hmm. without too much, um, without too much of a leap. I feel like I'm always really trying to write small, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like I'm trying to keep the writing attached to like small moments because I've found that every time I try to write big, mm-hmm. it really se- sounds corny. And I've learned over time that like there's this weird inverse relationship in which, at least for me, the smaller that I write, Mm-hmm. It ends up feeling. It ends up being um, more universal for some weird reason. Like maybe it's that people are feeling like a certain type of vulnerability and can feel themselves in in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of intentional, but sort of not. It's more just like a lot of songwriting trial and error and just stumbling into that place that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like I understand a little bit more how to write a song that feels pointed, mm-hmm. emotionally pointed. Um, I understand that now in ways that I didn't 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. that's good and bad. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just there's something really exciting about not knowing what the hell you're doing. And now I do kind of know what the hell I'm doing and I'm trying to avoid like going into the ditch, Mm -hmm. right? The ditch that I've worn in the ground from going that same way many, many times. Yeah. (laughs) You know, as a writer, do you feel like taking that experience forward? Do you think that there's a burden of knowledge ever that maybe you might overthink or do you just let it come naturally still? Is it easier? Um, I think the I think that writing a song feels easier because it's something that I know how to do. Mm-hmm. I find that I spend a lot more time now trying to inhabit a um, a space of like freshness or um, impulse. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find that because I feel like that is a is a sort of ineffable, compelling quality that makes for compelling listening, this idea that you're hearing something fresh, even if the constituent parts are just, you know, acoustic guitar and a mm-hmm. voice and a piano or something. Um, if I can, if there's like some little twinkle of, discovery Mm -hmm. in it then that's good right um and i think the danger in being like a songwriter that's written songs for for many years is that you start repeating yourself without even realizing it and so that's what i'm trying to be very cognizant of of now is like and especially someone that that like i i tend to work there's like a there's like a themes that are common that are like mm-hmm. these connective threads over all my records. So I have to, I'm just trying to keep a close eye on these songs to make sure I don't write the same song again. 
basically is like what I'm really like sensitive to now is like, did I already write that song? There are already songs in my catalog that I'm like, holy shit, that's like the same song. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you, how do you deal with those? And just leave them off a record? Is that, I mean, sometimes I leave them off. Sometimes I'm like, it's fine. They're like, they (laughs) exist far enough apart in the catalog that maybe no one will Notice. notice. Um, or yeah I mean if it's a good song it's a good song right so I mean hard to be objective but you know with all the my my own layers of subjectivity about what I'm looking for in in my own material if it feels good to me then I usually don't I won't overthink too much mm-hmm. I was reading that with production, you go in with ideas, but you also leave the space yeah. to develop. Yeah, I mean, I um, I like to be... My, my sweet spot in a studio is understanding kind of like uh, not understanding the entirety of what a song wants to be, but Mm -hmm. understanding it enough so that the process and it's um, all the different options don't overwhelm me. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're working with me in a studio, you're probably not going to hear me ever say like, just go in there and jam and let's just see what, what you come up with. Like, mm-hmm. cause to me, you know, experience has taught me that that's kind of like just a kiss, kiss of death time wise. I like to go into a studio understanding, kind of understanding the nature of the song, but having there be some mystery to it, maybe some parts I don't totally understand. I like to understand what the rhythmic nature of the song could be, even if it might be a couple different ways of playing it rhythmically. And I really like to understand what all the like the second line melodies are going to be. So not the vocal melodies, but like all the extra melodic information that goes into, I feel like a lot of songs it has, you know, there's like some part that you can sing mm-hmm. um, that's not a, not a vocal that's all that stuff. I'm very um, deliberate about about working on that stuff ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Trying not to overwork it, but knowing enough to know that. Yeah, I have a sense of what the song is when we go into the studio. I'm not just counting off the song and seeing what happens. Yeah. Um, well, studio time is really precious, too. Yeah, it's kind of precious. And also, like, I don't want anyone to ever have that, like, deer in the headlights look of, like, what are we, do- how, mm-hmm. what's this supposed to be, you know? I mean, I think all of the stuff I'm talking about comes from this, like, terror of being the captain of the ship and not knowing what direction we're supposed to be sailing so I'm, I'm trying to be 
prepared, not over prepared, not suffocatingly prepared. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to feel like they can lean into whatever their musical skill set is. But at the same time, I, I'd like there to be a plan. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, there were a couple of things I noticed on Jump for Joy, uh, and I really love Terms of Surrender and Quietly Blowing It. Um, those two records, your vocal is like really forward. Yeah. And this one, you're, there's more of a group with you now. Yeah. I saw that Amy Helm and Aoife Donovan helped yeah. contribute yeah. Uh, their background vocals. The record itself, and you do have full sound, usually, yeah. but there's something very warm and congregational almost about this oh one. i like that that's cool about about jump for joy yeah. um hmm. i mean it's funny because that that hadn't occurred to me the mm -hmm. fact that the vocal might be a little more buried mm -hmm. but i think you might be right um jump for joy is yeah is more of a is more of a community project because the people that play on the record are um you know my my band mm -hmm. and people that i i'd been playing with for um certainly since quietly blowing it which came out two years before mm -hmm. and um and those people play on the record and we spent a lot of time like workshopping different ideas both individually and together as a group um so maybe it made it just felt natural for me to like kind of situate my vocal in with this whole group mm -hmm. dynamic. Um, quietly blowing it, in terms of surrender, actually, um, are very inward-looking records. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're very internal, and I think "Jump for Joy." in ways conscious and subconscious was was a reaction to that because I felt like, you know, Quietly Blowing It was written and recorded and released um, during the pandemic. And uh, <clears throat> that was hard. That was a hard time for everybody. Mm -hmm. And it was a hard time for me because of the pandemic and all kinds of other stuff that just that that time exacerbated mm -hmm. my like <laughs> uh you know my slide towards like depression anxiety all that stuff was like just totally yeah it was speeded up by having all this time to think mm -hmm. and uh, you know I don't know and what what ended up kind of coming out was quietly blowing it which is a record i love mm -hmm. uh, but i just knew that i can't make a record like that again uh, um i don't know if i'll ever make a record like that again because it just it hurts mm -hmm. kind of it hurts to kind of hear oh, where i was maybe at that moment in time i just wanted to whatever i did again to be more effusive, more outward facing, more like intentionally dealing with hope. Mm -hmm. Not to say that like I'm a hopeful person all day, every day, but like that is a component that has always like been 
kind of like been on the edges of my records and I just felt like this, you know, whatever that is, hope, joyfulness, which is like different than happiness. Um, it just has to be, I don't know. I have to like figure out a new relationship to it and I have to like, it has to be a kind of like the heart of this record because I need a way to like keep moving forward and to keep believing in this process that we're involved in, which is like, you know, kind of this magical process of creating some things out of thin air. Um, I just, I couldn't be so inward looking anymore. Will you We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with our interview shortly. Here at Americana Podcast, we love to look to the future, but also at the work we've done. And we wouldn't be able to do this without our dear friend and music aficionado, Will Vote. Will's pick is written in first person, and is a review of the new album, Heat Comes Dry, by an artist we know and love, John R. Miller. I am honored to have been a part of this podcast since the beginning. It has forced me to get away from the comfort of my same old playlist and search out new music. Shuffle used to be a dance or something that you do at a card game, but with the advent of the digital library, it became a trap to just listen to your old favorite songs over and over again. I'm as guilty as anyone as iTunes just told me that I listened to over 1,000 Bob Dylan songs in 2023. Finding new music that fits your ear is a process these days. 60 years ago, radio was the gateway. You tuned in and all the new music filled your car or your house. That is not the case anymore. With so much more music everywhere, it is harder to find something new that connects you with your past but expands your current horizons. I have found a couple of ways. I'm lucky to have a wonderful friend like Robert Keane to introduce me to the music of great singer-songwriters. Over the years, he has led me to Greg Brown, Adam Wright, Adam Carroll, and most recently Brent Cobb, to name a few. In addition to listening to Robert, I have continually scoured the bottom of the Americana charts, hoping to catch some new singer-songwriter or band on the way up. This has been the source of many of my picks. I'm proud to have found Tyler Childers early on, but that was more like being tied to the tracks when the train came through than having a sharp ear. In 2021, I discovered the music of John R. Miller when I read about one of his songs being covered by Childers. This piqued my interest, and I wrote at the time, if you hear one of our most prolific young Americana songwriters covering an artist on an album, you might want to take notice. If the album in question is by Tyler Childers, you might want to do a little research. We can help you with that. The song is coming down, and the songwriter is John R. Miller. This discovery led me to devouring his debut full album, Depreciated. Depreciated was an apt title for the songs found on his record. The album contains several songs about cars, boats, and people losing value as they age. There's an underlying weariness to his lyrics that give Miller's music an authentic, lived-in feel and separates it much from what you hear on radio today. He has an eye for details that come from being on the road and living the life in person, not just hearing or reading about it. These songs were not created in a writer's room in Nashville, 
but on the streets and roads of our country. In the summer of 2019, I spent a lot of time cruising the roads of Rhode Island in my 1955 Ford Crown Victoria, playing depreciated over and over. It seemed like the perfect car for his music. I was blown away by the songwriting talent of a then unknown player from West Virginia. I finally got to see John R. and his musical partner, Chloe Edmondson. I felt like a proud father when Miller's music translated on stage and the audience really responded enthusiastically. This reaction was well-deserved because of the quality of the songs and the great presentation and interplay between John and Chloe. Recently, I got to see them play with a full band and the results were even more magical. Recently, Miller has released a new record called Heat Comes Down. It's an album that expands on the talent he flashed on the previous one. Miller has a very quirky way with words, and in his songs as well, as it is an authentic viewpoint. As a friend of mine said, he writes what's on his mind, not just what he sees with his eyes. I think there's a lot of towns in his songs. Songs on Heat Comes Down run the gamut for lyrical love songs like Harper Fairy Moon, then expand on some of the great material on Depreciated to conspiracies, cults, and UFOs, a stone rocker that appears to be John's homage to Dylan's subterranean homesick blues. Also on the record is Basements, which is another look at the music business from this lifelong musician. It is a subject well covered, but Miller brings new life into it. All in all, it is a very special album, which is, which is deserving of a very careful listen. For that reason, it is my pick. Woods a little war, resistors out of spec. You can string up a slab of pine for some 40-watt long town. But I used to be somebody, I just don't remember when. Back down to the basement, my foolish pride in me. I keep it dimed in two for time and I offer up a plea. They make all what you sow, but you can't read, but you still owe. Between Quietly Blowing It and Jump for Joy, I made this record under a different name called Revelators. I don't know if you ever heard this record. I saw it on your discography. Yeah. Yes. Because so, it was also in conjunction with the Christmas album. <clears throat> yes. Sort of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the actual Revelators record um, is a project that I did with my friend Cameron Ralston, who lives in, um, in Richmond, Virginia and and many other friends there's tons of people on that record and it's basically like a free jazz record mm -hmm. like free jazz and dub which um, are two types of music that I, I really really love and um, I feel like that record reminded me that there's no reason to abide by these self-imposed musical boundaries that I found myself kind of grappling with for no reason at all. Nobody mm -hmm. ever told me, like, these are the kinds of sounds that should go on a Hiss record, and these sounds shouldn't. No one ever told me that, but yeah. it's just like... You made them for yourself. Almost. I made them, they developed for myself in mm -hmm. totally unconscious ways. And um, making that Revelators record, which is really just like a kind of a wild sort of, yeah, out record made me think like oh yeah I can do anything I want on my records it doesn't matter and um, I feel like I kind of took that spirit into making Jump for Joy and I feel like it was it was it was super helpful 
yeah i mean you see a lot of different things like it it is a hiss record but it, there are different aspects to it i love the little instrumental breaks that you right. have in them yeah now and that it's almost like chapters of a book yeah you know and i like yeah. that dividing space yeah i was thinking of those little things as like just connective tissue when mm. you know that one song needs to come after another song but you need there to be like a breath yeah in between right that was kind of what i was trying to just make it make the whole thing flow and like when we were in the studio making jump for joy we recorded way more than what's on there's a whole other record that that is you know we just have that we didn't use and the songs i chose for jump for joy aren't necessarily like these are all the absolute best songs and they're all going on it was more just like these are the 12 or 13 or 14 songs that like these all want to live together mm -hmm. and um for whatever reason that i you know the top of my brain probably doesn't understand although like the lizard part of my brain probably does like they're just the songs that wanted to go together because when i hear the stuff we left off i'm like damn that's that's pretty that's pretty good but it just didn't belong on jump for joy yeah there's a real flow yeah there mm -hmm. um and you made that record in uh texas west texas right yes you know, 40 miles from el paso yeah exactly that yeah area is very near and dear to my heart really yeah so it was yeah do you know the place that it was made this place I, sonic ranch i've only heard of sonic ranch yeah but i've never been or gotten to see it but what made you want to go there um you know when we were out on the quietly blowing it tour um i knew that i wanted to take the band to I wanted to leave Durham, which is mm -hmm. where I think the band is based. I'm really the only person that lives in Durham, but everyone lives so close that yeah. I feel like we're kind of a Durham band. Um, <clears throat> and historically, we've always kind of worked around home so we could like go home at the end of the day. But I just re really felt compelled to go take all of us and go somewhere else and just see how a different geography could influence the sound of the record. So mm -hmm. I was looking at all different kinds of studios when we would, when we would have enough time to go visit somewhere. So, you know, in LA we went and hung out with my buddy, Jonathan Wilson has a studio in Topanga Canyon. That's amazing. Um, when we were like in Portland, Tucker Martin has mm -hmm. his space there. And I was just kind of like, Taking the temperature on all these different places. Yeah, window shopping. Window shopping, exactly. That's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Just like, kind of like, you know, hanging with, just seeing what the vibe was. I'd been hearing about Sonic Ranch forever. Everybody mm -hmm. that I knew um, that was making records that I like had worked there at some point. And I would ask him like, well, what's the, what's, what is it about the place? And you know, everybody was always like, it's hard to describe. It's not that like the gear is the greatest in the world. They have, they have great gear, but it's not that it's just, there's something different about mm -hmm. this the vibe there. Um, and then one day I was talking to Don was the producer who's a, a fan of his. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Don, um, if you could make a his record anywhere, where would you work? And he was like, I mean, really, without missing a beat, it was like Sonic Ranch for sure. Because um, oh. I think he had he had just been working there on some records. And uh, yeah, so I got in touch with them. Super generous, easy to 
arrange, you know, when you go there, you stay there. Mm-hmm. You couldn't really. It's a c- large piece of property. It's a big piece of property. Yeah. There are eight studios there. So, yeah. you know, at any given moment in time, there could be eight different artists yeah. working on something. Um, so we were there for like two weeks and I mean, it was, it was great. Certainly like the, the most idyllic, uh, time I've ever had making a record. I think just both because of the comfort and how much fun we were all having and just this landscape that is not totally foreign to me either. Mm-hmm. Cause I grew up in Southern California and I spent a lot of time out in the desert, out in Joshua yeah. tree and, driving through the Southwest. It's like a geography that I love. Um, it feels a little alien, but yeah. a little like just, uh, I don't know. It's gorgeous. It really like moves me. <laughs> it, no, it's a, it's so beautiful out there. It's like one of those things where I think El Paso gets written off so much and yeah. it shouldn't because it's such an interesting area geographically, yeah. culturally, mm-hmm. you know, it's, no one talks about it enough. It's yeah. a really great place. Though. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, it's really mm-hmm. cool. And you know, like um, dusk would arrive, the sun would go down. You'd see these lights twinkling off in the distance that mm-hmm. were Juarez, and I don't know. It was pretty romantic. Um, yeah. We would like have our little sunset Negronis, <laughs> go back in, work, work, work for a few more hours. I don't know. It was like pretty. Yeah, I don't want to say effortless because a lot of work, you know, I did a lot of work on the front end to make sure mm-hmm. that it felt effortless. Right. I and you also produced this record. I did. Yeah, this is still produced. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anyone's ever going to produce a record for me, mm-hmm. they're going to have to have a stronger personality than me. <laughs> when I don't know if I want a, a stronger musical personality. Yeah. I'm not like a I'm not like a super pushy person, but I yeah. have very specific ideas about what I want to hear mm-hmm. for better or worse. Right. Um, so I, 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 I like the idea of finding myself in like a producer, like having someone produce a record for me, but mm-hmm. who that could be, I would, I'm not sure who that would be. Have you ever thought about producing for other people as well? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I have done a little bit of that and I think it's really fun, but I have to be super connected to the music. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if I could do it as like just sort of a jobber because I'm like so emotionally connected to music that if it's not like killing me, Mm -hmm. I'm going to lose interest and then it's not going to be good for anybody. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, no so. one's having a good time. Though. No, now no one's having a good yeah. time. If I'm not having a good time, you're not going to have a good time either. Um, so I, I would like to do more of that. And mm-hmm. I think also like I really need to just loosen up about the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be so serious about it. It's hard to do, though. Yeah, you it's know, hard to do. Especially whenever you have expectations for what you want things to sound like, yeah. which is what it sounds like that you do. I have ideas. I have like a lot of rhythmic ideas. I have like a very, I have some very exacting expectations from a rhythm section. And also I generally think of the entire band as a rhythm section. (laughs) So I'm just like, don't you dare play a fucking solo. You're part (laughs) of the rhythm section now, buddy. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. I saw you last time you played uh, at Brooklyn Bowl. Yeah. And 
there isn't a lot of room for a solo. In that I game. mean, you know, the funny thing is when we play live, mm -hmm. there are lots of, yeah, there are lots of solo sections popping off, but the the default mode for the band is that mm -hmm. everybody's rolling in this in this rhythmic thing where like we are actually all part of the rhythm section mm -hmm. until it's time for someone to like add some kind of harmonic content just to break it up but like mm -hmm. i feel like our default is like everybody play as a rhythm section and that and that's something that just really has always turned me on musically from like you know, certain types of jazz records or like reggae music. Mm -hmm. That's just like, that's another sort of rolling type of rhythm where everybody's playing in the rhythm section. And like, for whatever reason, that's something that like, when I heard it for the first time, I was like, this is what I want music to sound like always. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Having those spaces too, because you have quite a few uh, live records as mm -hmm. well. That is, an, that seems to be like a nice break from your studio to those recordings. Yeah, live recordings can be really difficult to accomplish, and you know, let alone put out in the world and be proud of later on. Oh, which yeah. very, very the ones you did uh, for the Durham Public Education Fund. Yep. Also really great. What was it like putting those out? Because I know those also came out during COVID. Yeah. Um, they, uh, I mean, I was, I was, I'm really proud of, mm -hmm. you know, whatever exists musically on those records. It's a yeah. little hard for me to remember what's on that stuff. But in terms of what we accomplished for the Durham Public School Foundation, mm -hmm. that was, um, I'm, I'm proud of, of that, you know, um, that was like maybe the best thing I did during the pandemic mm -hmm. <laughs> for, for me personally. Um, but in terms of live records, you know, I, I don't like the idea that you put out a studio album and that's the definitive version of the song forever. Mm hmm. I'm uncomfortable with that notion. And, and we have lots of other examples, like really in kind of like jazz music, I guess, where there are just constant reinventions of a melody or a song or, or a, a musical theme. So, you know, part of it is like the live records are a way for me to like destabilize this idea that what you hear on the Hiss record is the definitive definitive version of the song. I, I just it's fun to reinvent it because it like loosens up the catalog. Um and we just we have our recording rig running every show. The 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 hope and idea is that at a certain point if you're recording everything you play every night mm -hmm. on tour, eventually everyone's going to forget that 
the machines are running and and you start playing in a way that's totally unselfconscious and that's what I'm like trying to find and I think at this point all of us have forgotten or just don't care that they're that we're recording the shows and then maybe at some point in a couple weeks or months someone will be like remember that show that we played in Nashville like we should listen to that I remember that feeling really good mm-hmm. um yeah and then we just go through and and mix it and and yeah put it out I'm Well, this would not be Americana podcast if we didn't really talk about Americana music, which we touched on a little bit. But one of the things that we really like to ask here is, you know, if there's a definition for Americana, how would you define it or describe it? Mm. I mean, to me, I think Americana music is a, you know, a kind of like, musical quilt that understands acknowledges all the different types of what we would consider American music mm-hmm. and, and I mean at this you know at this moment in time in the 21st century kind of like incorporates makes use of sort of deploys those traditions in the service of, you know, singing about what it means to be a human on the mm-hmm. planet Earth right now. It's just like that's that's the shared vernacular that we have as as musicians interested in those types of musics. Um, that's the way I deal with it, mm-hmm. I guess, is just taking the bits and pieces that really continue to resonate with me in gospel music, old time and bluegrass music, country music, mm-hmm. um, R&B music. Uh, um, you have a lot of elements of blues music in your work. Yeah, blues, mm-hmm. blues too. I mean, certainly lots of blue notes, mm-hmm. <laughs> blue notes in the music. Um, yeah, all that stuff. But um, it's hard for people, you know, I think it's a little hard for people to categorize His Gold Messenger if they're looking to put mm-hmm. this music on in a category. Like if you ask someone what kind of music does His Gold Messenger make, it's, hard, it's a little bit hard to answer that question, at least for me. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, ideally, we didn't operate in worlds without categories, especially when it comes to music. There's so yeah. many different things at play. Of there. course, but we have to. But we have to. I don't yeah. want to. You don't want to, no. but we ha- we have no choice. Yeah, I always say that like genre definition is for the audience or for the journalist. Yeah, it's yeah. not really for the artist uh, making it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I've always I've always wanted my music to be ambiguous. Mm-hmm. It's part of like that's part of my mission uh it's and it's just is i guess is part of my personality (laughs) 
the way that I'm wired, like going back to like punk rock days is mm -hmm. like, I, I want this to be a challenge. You know yeah. what I mean? Which I want people to like sink into this and start to like think about what the mystery of it. How did this come to be? Why does this music sound like this? What is he singing about? <laughs> yeah. All that stuff like I, I'm really drawn to. Um, so in a lot of ways, like what I'm doing is, is intentional. There's a lot of thought behind like how we're going to put this out into the world. What are the, you know, I don't know. I like, I like mystery. I like enigma. I don't like, I would never go explain what all the songs are about. And right. that's like a, that's a thing that we're often asked to do now is like can you write a can you give a brief synopsis about every song is yeah. like uh that's part of all press campaign publicity campaigns my answer before i you know give my publicist who i love whatever he needs is like it's all there in the song yeah. i mean i'm not gonna be able to say it better than how the song says it because i spent a really long time on the song yeah. <laughs> right. but uh yeah, I don't know. That's the way the world is working now. So yeah, it's a it's a tough one. Uh, are there any other artists that are kind of in this roots Americana space that you're paying attention to? I noticed that Adim the artist is opening for you. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, Adim is great. Um, mm -hmm. I saw Adim a few months ago, and they just yeah, they mm -hmm. they kind of blew me away, and I loved the vibe, and I loved the challenging aspect of it yeah adim is great we just mm -hmm. had this band called sylvie opening for us before mm -hmm. adim that is one of my faves love love them um the lost Deans are opening for us another great great band from new orleans like i i tend to find myself drawn towards if it's music that is floating in the americana world it's kind of um, only tangentially related or flow, you mm -hmm. know, it's kind of like on the margin. So maybe you can call it Americana. Maybe it's something else. I, I yeah. don't know. Um, I really, there's this record by this woman named Julie Byrne mm -hmm. that came out this year. That is, is really, really deep record. Um, there's other record by this guy named Sam Burton that I love. Um, I think like all this music that I'm mentioning is all kind of kind of patient, like very deep orchestrated music. Oh, this record um, by Anoni and the Johnsons. I don't know if you know, I don't know that. Mm -hmm. oh, it's incredible. Incredible. Um, I mean, there's uh, there's no shortage of great music coming out. Every day. And my most of my listening, I feel like, is actually stuff that I'm still grappling with for, that's like mm -hmm. 30, 40, 50 years old. Um, I, I mean, I still love music, like, really profoundly. And being a musician and being on the road, that's hard to stay in touch with. Too. Sort of. I yeah. mean, I think it is, actually. And yeah. I think that it's just like a cosmic gift that um, I, I still am really, like, fired up by music. That's I, awesome. And I, I don't know why that is, but I just, I just am. 
Mm. Well, I know you have a heart out, and I'll wrap this up here in a bit. Uh, but I do. We have one last question that we ask on the show, which is: uh, We think it's a tragedy that an instrument as wonderful and wonderful sounding as the B three is named the B three. Oh. And I would love to know if you could name rename the B three. What would you name it? Whoa. This is a big question yeah. that never has even occurred to me. Oh, my God. You don't like the name B3? It's a little military, little, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's a military-grade yeah. <laughs> military instrument. It weighs like 400 pounds. Um, yeah, it's a tank. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Whoa. Those are heavy. Once you mm -hmm. add in the Leslie organ, or the Leslie speaker, which you kind of have to have, mm -hmm. we're talking like a we're talking like a six seven hundred pound Instru yeah. instrument. Oof, that's terrible. <laughs> um, add in a set of stairs. Oh, it's the word I I can't remember who gave it, but we got one name from a guest previously, and it was uh, the Roadie's Nightmare. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, really bought the one. I think. You know, if we wanted to, like, address it from that point of view, like maybe the Punisher, <laughs> Punisher. or That's something great, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know if it was a Hammond or a Baldwin or what, but there was an organ model called the Fun Machine. <laughs> like, if you heard that the instrument was called the Fun Machine, mm -hmm. and then you walked in and realized it was a 700-pound <laughs> piece of gear... <laughs> <laughs> like that that's that's pretty funny. Yeah. That's pretty fucking funny. So yeah. uh I don't know. Maybe either the Punisher or the fun machine. <laughs> okay. That's great. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining us on this show. Oh I'm, yeah. Really Thanks really for getting it. in touch. Yeah. I I'm really looking forward to your show tonight in cool. particular. So Yeah, awesome. But thanks again. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank All you. At this time, we would like to thank our guest, MC Taylor, his Golden Messenger, All Eyes Media, and the Waymore Guest House. As special thanks to Will Vote, I have to tell you about one last and latest endeavor. Recently, Will has published his first book of photography, These Americans. It is a collection spanning decades and documents the upper echelons of American social circles as you've never imagined, let alone seen. From Watch Hill, Rhode Island to the fields of South Texas, the unvarnished portrayal of an otherwise clandestine group is fully revealed. Edited by Jennifer Garza Quinn and Jordan Baumgarten, with an introduction by Jay McNerney, These Americans is now available at willvote.com. Americana Podcast is brought to you by Keen Productions. Until next time, let the music play.